There we go. Yeah. Hey, good morning. Yeah, you guys are so funny. They have you stand up and greet one another. And I don't know, like someone gives a signal. Like you stand up and like going, talk, 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 talk. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's, we're done. And you sit down. And it's like, oh, hold on. I'm not even ready here yet. What are we, what day is this? And so I'm up here talking to the band. And then you're all like, you're ready to go. So, hey, if you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to reach into your uh, sermon bulletin or your bulletin rather and take out this white sheet called the message notes. Uh, if you're new to Rocky Peak, uh, we take notes every week, and uh, even if you don't take notes, at least to help you follow along, we'll see some of the things we'll be talking about. So uh, how y'all doing today? Man, what an incredible day out there, isn't it? I just, I can't get over this place. You know, I just came, I came here this morning, but I don't know, 7.30 or something like that. It's just gorgeous, just so, so pretty. We'll be starting a 5.30 service. Uh, <laughs> you know, the elders are pushing for that. Um, and... Uh, so, it's good to have you. Let's uh, go ahead and pray and then go into our time in the Word. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing here at Rocky Peak. Lord, we just sense the wind of your Spirit blowing through this place, blowing through our life groups, blowing through our personal life. God, we sense ourselves coming alive in new ways as your Word is speaking to our hearts. And Lord, we are so anxious to hear from you. And we come week after week, this privilege of gathering together together as your community to say, God, speak to us. And so today we come once again and we talk about this important law, this law of the Spirit. God, we pray you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in for a few weeks now called uh, uh, 11 Laws to Live By. And if you're new here, uh, I always like to say this at the beginning just to get you up to speed, that when we talk about 11 laws, we're not talking about laws in a legalistic sense, like, like laws of the land. So if you break the law, you get thrown in jail. It's, these are more like the laws of nature. Uh, so that it just, the laws of nature just describe how life works. So for example, uh, the law of gravity, you know, what goes up must come down, or you know, water freezes at this point, boils at this point. It's just, this is how life works. And so these laws are, are not laws of the physical realm, but they're laws of the spiritual realm. They're just a simple description that flow out of God's word, out of, out of how life works in what I like to call our vertical relationship with God, or our horizontal relationship with one another. Now today we're, we're entering into law number four, and if you've got your note sheet there, let's, let's fill it in. It goes like this. It's the law of the Spirit, and it goes like this. That the Spirit, and of course we're talking the Holy Spirit there, the, the Spirit is a source of spiritual transformation. In other words, we're not on our own. Once we come to Jesus and we give our lives to him, it's not as if he puts us in a corner and says, now get your act together, and when it's all done, come and see me. Uh, we're not, it's not that way. It's like this is a partnership, and the Holy Spirit is the source of this transformation. We've been talking, in fact, last week we talked a lot about this, how God's goal for our life is to grow us up and make us like his son. That's his goal for your life. I don't care who you are, if you're a housewife or if you're a business executive, you work on cars, you have kids, you're single, doesn't matter. He has one goal for your life that's above all other goals, and that's to, to change you to be like his son, to have a character of his son. And the fact is, it's the Holy Spirit who is the kind of construction manager in that, that pro, uh, project. He, he's like the supervisor on site in your life. And he's in charge of that transformation process from the first day, even before the first day, but let's say the first day you come to Jesus, to when Jesus comes back. He's, the, he's overseeing this renovation project in your life. There in your note sheet is a verse that we'll refer to a couple times today from the book of Philippians. And it says that he who began a good work in us, so God through the Holy Spirit, he began a good work in us when you, when you first came to Christ. It says that he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So the Holy Spirit starts the process of renovation. He completes the process of renovation. He's over the whole process all the way through. Now what I want to do as we start off today is I want to roll up our sleeves and look at what Jesus had to say about the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so I'd like you to open your Bibles and uh, find your tabs and turn to John chapter 14. Now it's in the New Testament. I talked to one lady yesterday who said, do you think I'll ever get faster at finding things in my Bible? I got the tabs and I'm still kind of slow. And I said, well, I'll try to give you a hint. Old Testament, New Testament. That'll give you a start. So this is in the New Testament. I tell you, yes, you will get better. I guarantee you. It's John chapter 14. Now, we actually looked at this passage. We'll start in verse 15. We actually looked, looked at this passage a little bit in, in law number two, the law of obedience. 
It's obedience that opens, uh, unlocks the door to experiencing God in our lives. But we need to come back to it again for a different topic now. Now let me set the stage. You may have caught this by now, but, but John chapter 13 through John chapter 17 is really an extended conversation, so to speak. It happens on the last night Jesus is with his disciples prior to his arrest. So he's going to be arrested that night, later that evening, and he's going to be leaving these men that he's been mentoring for three years. And so he's preparing them for his absence. And so you can imagine some of the last things he would have to say are some of the most important things he has to say as he wants to prepare them for his departure. And so in chapters 13 through 17, we have this extended kind of snippets, um, uh, kind of sections where, where uh, John tells us, here's some of the things he shared that evening. So in John chapter 14, we'll start at verse 15, and he says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. That's the law of obedience. We, we saw that. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you. Now, catch that. We're going to come back to that, another counselor. But he's going to be with you forever. Of course, I'm leaving, but I'm sending someone else to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. So there's some people in life who get to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, some people who don't get to experience them. He says the world doesn't, his followers do. He says, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. And I want to go back to those two words there where it said another counselor. I want to focus on those just for a second. Jesus is leaving. He says, I'm going to send you another counselor. Now, the word counselor is an interesting word. If you have a different translation of the Bible, it might be translated differently. It often is. For example, here's some of the translations. Helper, um, counselor, um, advocate. Uh, there's a bunch of different words that are often used to describe this. The, the word in the original language, in the Greek language, is a word that means one that's called alongside of. Now think of your own life. Why do people come alongside of us? Well, for a bunch of reasons. They come alongside of us to help us, to encourage us, to guide us, to teach us, right? To give us counsel. So people in our lives come alongside of us for a variety of reasons. And that's why this word is so hard to translate because the Holy Spirit plays many roles in our life. He comes alongside as our teacher, our counselor, our guide, and so on. I like to use the word mentor. I like to think of the Holy Spirit as my, my mentor in life. It's a good, I think, modern word that kind of gets at it. Um, I, I think of him as my personal life coach, the one who comes along saying, this is how to do life. So I want you to catch this, that Jesus said that the role of the Holy Spirit was to come along and be our, our counselor or our personal life coach. The other word I want you to focus on there, catch, is the word another. He said, I'm sending you another counselor. Well, if, if there's going to be another counselor, who do you think was the first one? Jesus, right? So he's leaving. He's been mentoring them for three years. Now they need a new mentor. Who's going to teach them how to do life now? You know, what a bummer. He's leaving, right? So he, they need another. What they really need is like a replacement Jesus, you see? And that's what the role of the Holy Spirit is. He's a replacement Jesus. In fact, in the New Testament, we are told that um, we're off, the, the Holy Spirit is often called the Spirit of Jesus, you see, because that's his role in our life. His role is to, to guide us in our life as Jesus would if Jesus were physically present like he was with the disciples. All right, let's move on now. Let's go down. The next passage is a few verses down, verses 25 and 26. We're going to be going through, just hitting three or four of what these passages to see what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. You can always tell people who study Bibles, it takes about four flips to get there, 10 verses. All right, verse 25, he says, um, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he'll remind you of everything I've said to you. So the job of the Holy Spirit is to teach us all things, whatever we need to do. You know, you're a parent. How do you parent like Jesus wants you to parent? That's the Holy Spirit's job to teach you that. You're a husband or you're a wife. You're a single adult. What does it mean to do life in that marital status? What does that look like? You're an attorney downtown. What does it mean to be an attorney like Jesus would be an attorney? You run a shop and you fix cars. 
How would Jesus run that shop? You see, the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us into all truth, to teach us all things, to teach us how to do life as if Jesus were there guiding us. And notice that his also job is to remind you of everything that I've said to you. What we'll see as we study the, 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 what Jesus had to say about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit's job is not to be creative in the sense of teaching us new things that Jesus never said. His role is really to take the things that Jesus already said and to apply them to our lives. You know, sometimes you'll have someone who will come and say, well, this, I really felt like God was leading me, or I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading, and then they tell you something to do that Jesus would, like, croak over, you know? There's no way Jesus would tell you that. And then they'll say, well, the Holy Spirit led me. It's like, I don't think so. The Holy Spirit is going to be, I, I had a guy come to me one time and told me that he was leaving his wife for a younger woman because they'd fallen in love and he thought it was a mistake to marry the first woman. So, and they just really felt that peace about this, that God was really putting a peace in his heart. Well, see, that's not all that uncommon for someone to say something like that. And the point is, well, the Holy Spirit, he reminds us of what Jesus says. He doesn't create like new alternate truth, you know? You get it? Like, like that would be an example of, say, some of the cults. You know, say, for example, like, like Mormonism or something. Here's an alternate truth that we didn't have until the 1800s when Joseph Smith came along and got the tablets and the glasses, and now we know more. And so this, the Bible would say, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit doesn't reveal new things that have never happened before, whatever that, that kind of thing. He takes the things that Jesus has taught us, and he applies them to our life. Let's move on. Uh, the next passage is 16, chapter 16. 12 through 13. Jesus said, I have much more to say to you. He's still talking to his men now. More than you can now bear. Do you, do you realize that God withholds truth from you many times in your life? That, do you realize how overwhelming it would be if he revealed all things you need to know right today? <laughs> what a, how depressing a day would that be? You know, it's like, Jesus, I know I messed up. Could you just not show me all at once, you know? And he's like that. He, Jesus will never show us more truth than we can bear. And so he'll, he'll slowly reveal things in our life to help us grow at the right time. So here were the disciples, and they weren't ready to receive everything Jesus had for them yet. He, Jesus recognized that. He said, you're not ready. Uh, yet I have more to say to you. You're not ready to bear it. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So catch that. The Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to be a spiritual guide. He guides us through life. You don't think of it like a trail guide. You're going somewhere. You don't know where you're going. Maybe you go to a foreign city. You're taking a trip in, to London. You've never been there before. And you hire a guide. And, and the guide would show you around the city. Well, the Holy Spirit is a guide in our life. He shows us how to do life. He guides us. And notice he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. See, what I said, he's not a creator. He's just, he's, he's, he's sending them, he's kind of communicating the message of Jesus to us. He will tell you what's yet to come. Now, one more passage. Go back to verse 5, 16, 5. He says, now I'm, uh, now I'm going to him who sent me. In other words, I'm going back to heaven. I'm going to the Father. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? This is funny. Um, the disciples didn't really always like to ask Jesus questions because um, they often got in trouble when they did. It, you know, it's just it's sort of funny. The Last Supper, um, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And Peter, I mean, it's a small room, you know. But Peter says to John, who's right next to him, you ask him, you ask him, you know. <laughs> like Peter didn't want to go, um, you know, um, which one of us is it? Uh, <laughs> John, you ask him. You're, you're his best friend, you know? So, so here he's like, Jesus says, I'm leaving. And they're all wondering, we don't know where you're going. No one wants to ask him. Like, where are you going? Verse six, because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. Of course they were. Their best friend was leaving. Their mentor was leaving. He's, but catch this, but I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I'm going away. I just let that sink in for a second. You know, sometimes we get so used to the Bible, so stained glass, we just don't even read it anymore. It's just so familiar. It's for your good that I'm going away? Like, what could be better than having Jesus 24-7 in your life? It's for your good? It's like, if I'm there, I'm going like, time out, Jesus. I don't care if I get in trouble for this question. But I just have to understand, what could be better than having you in my life? Yeah, I'm just curious. Because I'm not getting it. 
But look what he says. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. Wow. You mean it's better to have the counselor in our life than to have Jesus with us physically? Really? I mean, that's what he says. Is that really true? See, the thing about it, when Jesus was here physically, he was limited by space and time. If he was in Galilee, couldn't be in Jerusalem. Talking to Nicodemus, couldn't be talking to the woman at the well. Talking to Peter, can't be talking to John. Talking to John, can't be talking to Andrew, you see? But the Holy Spirit is this personal life coach who comes to live within us who doesn't have that limitation. We all have instant access. We're always online all the time. It's like cable spirituality, you see? We don't have to dial up. You know, you never get the busy signal. It's like the Spirit is always there, ready to teach us, ready to instruct us. What an amazing, amazing uh, gift. And yet so many times in Christian circles, I think we'll affirm the truth of the Trinity. We believe in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, co-eternal, three persons, you know, that whole thing. And yet not really understand the amazing gift it is that Jesus said that he would come to dwell at us through the person of the Holy Spirit to be our personal life coach to teach us all things one of my favorite stories uh, one of the greatest leaders in my mind Christian leaders of the 20th century was Francis Schaeffer just love love Francis Schaeffer great defender of the faith um, tremendous thinker but early in his life he went through a spiritual crisis he was already a pastor he'd gone to Europe he was living with his wife Edith in Switzerland doing some missionary work and over in Europe, there was hardly anyone who believed in God or the Bible anymore. And so it was really a spiritual desert. And he began to have doubts of his own. These are really true, these things that I've always believed. And he went through a crisis. And one morning, he came out, sat at the breakfast table with his wife, Edith. He said, Edith, can I ask you a question? She said, well, sure. He said, well, here's my question. What if we took our Bibles and we scratched out every place where it talked about the work of the Holy Spirit in the Bible? how would we live our lives any differently? And they both stopped for a minute and they said, we wouldn't. We say we believe in the Holy Spirit, but we live as if there is no Holy Spirit, you see? And yet Jesus says we're to have this incredible personal life coach to lead us into all truth, you see? So that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about this, the role of the Holy Spirit in our life and especially his transforming role. And there on your note sheet, there's just a couple, couple things I want to focus on. And this is the Holy Spirit, our personal life coach, what you can expect from him. Just two things I want to focus on. Okay. Here's the first one. The, the first principle goes like this. The Holy Spirit, you can expect this from him. The Holy Spirit will open your eyes to spiritual truth. If you're a follower of Jesus, now let me say this. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm going to give you the opportunity to become a follower later today. I'm going to give you a heads up right now. So if you're feeling like, boy, I want to know more about this, how do I get the Holy Spirit in my life? Well, what you do is you make the decision to follow Jesus. When you make the decision to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into your life to be your personal life coach. If you haven't made that decision, you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life yet. But that's okay, because in 30 minutes, you're going to get the chance, all right? Just listen up right now. But if you have made the decision to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come into your life, and one thing that you can expect from him is that on a regular basis, he will open your eyes to new spiritual truth. In fact, this is the way he changes us. When God wants to raise you to a new level in your life, usually what he does is he gives you a new insight into an area of your life where he wants you to grow. And that insight calls you forth. It calls you further. It's like going on a trail and you see something around the corner that moves and you want to go up and see what is that. And so he shows you this truth. It might just be a flash or whatever, but you kind of see something and it pulls you on. Now the Bible says that before we become a Christian, we cannot understand the things of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole spiritual realm out there. 
You know, Jesus is, uh, uh, is, is Lord. Uh, God loves us. He's got a plan for our life. Uh, we, we're, well, there's certain things wrong with us he needs to fix. We've got a sin problem. He died on the cross for us. There's certain spiritual realities, and yet it says before that we come to Christ that we're blind to these realities. They're there. We just can't see them. You see? There was a great movie years ago um, called Field of Dreams. Did any of you ever see that, that movie? Okay, great. Last night I didn't say it was a great movie, and so I said, have you, have you anyone ever seen that? And like, people are like, where are you going with this? I wanted to see whether I liked it or not. I told them it was a great movie, and then how many, and then all the hands went up, but anyway. Um, that's okay, the disciples didn't trust Jesus either. All right, so, um, <laughs> I'm just trying to follow him, you know, so whatever. Um, Okay, so in that movie, if you've never seen the movie, or if you have, it's probably been a while. Just let me, there's a beautiful illustration of this whole thing of spiritual truth and how it works. You remember, um, the star of the movie is Kevin Costner. He plays a character named Ray Conseco. He has a young wife and his young daughter, and they live in the middle of Iowa. And one day he's out in his cornfields, and he hears a voice speaking to him. And the voice says, if you build it, he will come. I knew you'd seen it. And so... Um, so at first he thinks he's crazy, but as time goes on, this voice keeps coming back, and he's not even sure what that means. But one day, it says, the voice comes, if you build it, he will come. He looks out in the distance over his cornfields, and instead of the cornfields, he sees this beautiful, major league, league beautiful baseball park, lights in the whole bit. And so everyone thinks he's crazy, but he decides to take this, the leap of faith and go ahead and plow under his field, put his whole farm in jeopardy, you know, of going bankrupt. And he builds this incredible field. And after he builds it, sure enough, these players who have long been dead, and this is where the theology gets a little uh, shaky. But uh, <laughs> this is not the point of the illustration, by the way. Um, but these players long since dead, they come back in their old baseball uniforms and they come back in the field and his wife can see him, his daughter can see him, he can see him, they get to watch him play, they talk to him, have make fr- become friends and so on. But the interesting thing is, is though they can see it, the believers can see it, like the non-believers can't see it. And so, like his brother-in-law, Mark, comes to visit them. And he's just, you know, railing on him because what a fool you are and you've done this and you're gonna lose your crop. And, and he gets so mad at him that at one point, he accidentally pushes Kevin Costner's daughter who falls down and starts choking on her hot dog. And one of the baseball players who later becomes a doctor comes across the, the field, turns back into a doctor, across the line, and he, he uh, dislodges the hot dog. And we don't have, you know, you won't, I won't have time to tell you about the whole story, but anyway, after that, um, all of a sudden, the brother-in-law, the non-believer, can see what was there all along. How many of you were like that when you came to Jesus? You know, it just, it made no sense to you. You couldn't believe, anyone would believe this or that and all. You come to Jesus and all of a sudden it's like someone opens your eyes. Well, heck, let's watch it. the game, Mark. Ray. Ray, it's time to put on your little fantasies and come down to Earth. It's not a fantasy, Mark. They're real. Who is real? Shoeless Joe Jackson, the White Sox, all of them. You mean? No, I can't, can't see any of it. Well, who's this? Elvis? Ray. As a matter of fact, it's Terrence Mann. Yeah, right. How do you do? I'm the Easter Bunny. Ray, listen, we need to yeah, sell this thing, right? Ray, you have Look, no I'm money. Look, I'm not selling Ray, you Ray, my Ray, you have no money. You have a stack of bills to choke a pig and come fall. You got no crop to sell. But I do have a deal to offer you that's going to allow you to stay on the land. Daddy, you don't have to sell the farm. Let us buy you out. We'll leave the house. You can what, live on it rent-free what, as long as you want. What about the baseball field? Ray, do you realize how much this land is worth? Yeah. Yeah. 2200 bucks an acre. And you gotta realize we can't keep a useless baseball diamond in the middle of rich farmland. Read my lips, Mark. We're staying, all right? We're staying. Ray, you will lose everything. 
you will be evicted. Absolutely nuts! Can't do it, pal. I mean, Annie! Ray, you build a baseball field in the middle of nowhere and you sit here and you stare at nothing. Not nothing. And you turn your daughter into a space Get your kid. hands off. I'm trying to help you. Is she all right? I don't know. Is she breathing? When did these ball players get here? <laughs> Do not sell this farm, Ray. You gotta keep this farm. <laughs> Mark, you've had a very rough day once. Go inside and get something cold to drink. Yeah. That's a, that's a good idea. Don't sell the farm, Ray. <laughs> Okay, did you see that what happened there? You've got one person, you've got three people who are totally in touch with reality. They can see the players, they can see the field, they can see what's going on. You've got one who's just totally oblivious, has not a clue. The reality is all around them, but they can't see it. Now, here's what I want you to catch. This is exactly what the Bible says happens before and after we come to Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes. In fact, there in your note sheet, look at this amazing verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 12 and 14. Y'all got it? Okay. We have not received, Paul's saying, we Christians, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God. We've received the Holy Spirit. That we may understand what God has freely given us. Now the man without the spirit, like in the movie, that would be Mark, the brother-in-law. The man without the spirit, he does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, just like he, 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 like he responded. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, there, there's a difference before we come to Jesus and after we come to Jesus of what we can perceive about spiritual reality. A lot of you experienced that when you came to Christ. A new sense of moral values. No one had to explain it to you. You just had a heightened sense of right and wrong. The word came alive before it had been a dead book. A lot of things change. Well, here's what I want you to catch. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is not a one-time experience in your life. This is a routine experience. This is how he grows us, by from time to time showing us new spiritual truth. He opens it up to us. I call them aha moments. It's an aha. You're sitting in a sermon. The pastor's speaking. And you're wondering, why is everyone else here when he's so clearly only speaking to me right now? Uh, you're reading in the Bible. You're reading a passage you've read a million times, and all of a sudden it just comes alive on the page. And it's for you. You know it's for you. God's speaking to you. You're in a life group, and someone shares what God's doing in his job or his marriage or whatever, and something clicks inside of you, and a light goes on. And it's like, oh, there's something here for me, Right? Now, that is routine. That should be happening routinely in our life. So let me say this. If that is not happening in our life, um, we need to find out why. It may be because you've not yet come to Jesus in your life, and so you don't have the Holy Spirit. It may be because at one point in your life, he was talking to you, the Spirit was talking to you about something, and you said, I don't want to hear you right now. This is one of the most normal reasons why we quit being led by the Spirit is that we quit listening. You know, imagine that you went to a gym. You hired a personal life coach or a, a, a trainer, a life trainer for the gym. And you show up the first day, you paid your money, and you come up and you say, okay, the first thing we're gonna do is uh, I want you to, I, I need to test your cardiovascular system. So I'm gonna have you step up on this bench 15 times and we're gonna take your step up and down, up and down, and we're gonna, we're gonna take your pulse. And you say, no, I don't think so. Excuse me? I don't wanna do that. What else you got? Well, let's go over here. I'd like to test your strength. Um, let's put 25 pounds on here. I'd like you to do some curls, 25 pounds, do 10 reps. 
no, I'm not into that. Well, after about the third time, what's the trainer going to say? He's going to say, I'll tell you what. I'm going to be over by the Coke machine. When the Spirit moves you and you're ready to be trained, let me know. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit does the exact same thing in our life. He comes to us. He starts showing us the truth. And we go, nah, I don't like that truth. Well, let me try this. No, nah, I don't think so. I like it the way it is. The Holy Spirit says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to be over by the Coke machine. When you want to follow, let me know. And so what I'm saying is that this should be routine in our life, that you come to church here. It should be routine that you walk out of here saying, wow, you know, God really spoke to me today. It should be routine that you're spending time alone in your word or your life group or a mentoring thing or whatever, and God's showing you stuff. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Didn't we read that, that he's our teacher? Didn't we read that he'll teach us, he'll lead us into all truth and that he'll guide us? So if that's not happening, something is wrong, and we need to find out what it is. Okay, number two. The second principle goes like this. If the Holy Spirit wants to change you, he will change you from the inside out. But you have to cooperate. One of the roles in the, in, of the Holy Spirit plays in our life is to change us from the inside out. Now what I mean by that is that, that Christianity is not a self-help program. It's not a spiritual self-help program. It, it's not a religion of willpower. Now, now all the other religions of the world are like this. They're just, you're on your own. Here's what you're supposed to be, you're on your own. Christianity is totally different. In fact, Christianity comes and says this. Jesus comes, he says this. You're all messed up. You can't do it on your own, but I will help you. It's a total different thing. And so the role of the Holy Spirit is to change us from the inside out, to actually come into us and change our desires, change our perspectives, and give us the power to be who we could never be on our own. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But of course, we have to cooperate. I like to use the analogy of a sailing vessel. Imagine one of these huge, you know, the old clipper sailing vessels, all the multi-sails. Imagine them going out into the harbor and, and setting sail from, from London to come to the new, to the new world. And uh, they just said, we're not using the sails today. We're just gonna pull them down and sit here and see what happens. Well, they wouldn't go very fast. Well, they wouldn't go anywhere. You have to have the sails. But it's not the sails that create the motion. It's the, it's the wind. Remember Jesus said the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You don't know where he's coming from, where he's going. You see, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the wind, but we have to cooperate. We have to put up the sails. We have to set our sails to catch the wind. And so Christianity is not a self-help program. It's not a willpower religion. It is a supernatural transforming relationship where the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out, but he does ask for our cooperation. I want you to look at this. In the Old Testament, it was very different. Before Jesus came, God basically told the nation of Israel, this is how you're to live. He gave them the law. But they did not have the power to change themselves, which basically set them up for failure. Now, this is exactly what the Bible says the Old Testament law was supposed to do. It was to show us our inability to change ourselves, to be where we're supposed to be. That's the whole purpose of it. But God predicted there would come a day when he would actually change the program where he would send his spirit into us and he would revitalize our heart. He would change our desires. He would change our affections. And he would empower us. He would actually move us to be able to be the people that he wants us to be. Now there's multiple passages that teach us in the Old Testament, but I want you to turn to the book of Ezekiel. You'll definitely need your tabs for this one. Ezekiel 36, it's in the Old Testament, so there's a head start. Chapter 36, we're going to look at one example of these prophecies that a day would come when the, God's Spirit would move on mankind in a new way to change us from the inside out. Ezekiel 
Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. Okay, I think we're there. I don't want you to miss this. Verse 26, God says to Israel, there'll come a day when, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh, a tender heart. And catch this, I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Now this promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to the church. This was the day Jesus was talking about when he said the Holy Spirit has been with you but he will be in you. I'm leaving but I'm sending another counselor. This is the day, the day of fulfillment, you see. On that day, this promise was fulfilled. When God would no longer be outside of us just telling us what to do, he would be inside of us changing us from the inside out. Most amazing things, the miracle that happens when we come to Christ. So, in the New Testament, we see this principle fully at opera, operational. There in your note sheet, look at your note sheet, there's a couple verses I want you to catch. In Philippians chapter one and verse six, we, we saw this earlier. He who began a good work in you, he'll carry it on. It's jobs the uh, general contractor on, on job site in our life from beginning to end. But the next, the next verse, the next verse in Philippians takes it even farther. Paul writes, it says, therefore my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. What does it mean to work it out? Well, I wanna focus on the last part of the verse right now. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. See that? If you're a believer, God is at work inside of you to put his will and his ability to change, to work. Look at the next verse. Same verse, but different translation. International Standard Version. And so, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Here's our line. For it is God who is producing in you both the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. Isn't that great? So, so the Holy Spirit's role is not just to show us what to do to teach us new truth, but to actually create new desires and give us the ability to change. But of course, we have to cooperate. If he's the wind, we have to adjust our sails. So what does it mean to cooperate with the Holy Spirit? What does that look like practically? Well, I want to break it down for you. And I want to look there on your note sheet. There's two key words I want to give you that help us get at this. The first one's the word permission. The first thing, if we want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we have to give him permission to change our heart. He's willing to give us a new heart, but we have to give him permission. Remember what Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man is willing to open the door, I'll come in. He's not gonna knock the door down. So what happens is when God wants to move in a different area of your life, he, he starts knocking on that, that part of your, your house, and he says, can I come in through this door? And we either say yes or no. And if we say no, then we remain unchanged. Now, we're not doing the change, but we decide whether the change will happen or not. We get permission. But if we open the door, we say, yes, you can come in and you can change the desires of my heart. You can change the motivating principles of my life. Then he will get to work and he will start changing you, changing your desires from the inside out. Now you might say, well, Mike, that sounds pretty easy. If it's really that easy, then why is it so hard to change sometimes? Well, let me, let me talk about that. It sounds very easy to give Jesus permission to change your heart, doesn't it? Is it? Okay, great, change my heart. But in reality, wait till you have a real desire. When you have a real desire, you don't want your desire changed. You want your desire fulfilled. Let's say that you're just passionate. You want a Ford 150 pickup truck. You can't, change, you, you can't afford the truck. Your wife's telling you you can't afford the truck. But you just, you want this truck. Now, why do you want that truck? Well, because desires always promise happiness. They always do. 
That's what desires do. Desires promise happiness. It doesn't matter what the desire is. So you want the truck. Why? Because you believe it will make you happy. So Jesus comes and says, no, I want you to live within your means. I will make you content with what you have. If you give me permission, I'll take away that desire. What are you going to say? Oh, great. Sounds good to me. You're like, I don't want this desire taken away. I want the truck. Right? And if you play it out, it always works this way with every desire. You're really ticked off with someone. You want to let them have it. Jesus says, would you give me permission to change your heart? Like, you mean I'm going to like them? I don't want to like them. I want to lay into them. How about if I just lay into them, then you change my heart? You see what I'm saying? Is that when you really get down to real desires, we don't want them changed. We want them fulfilled. And so to give Jesus permission becomes a very difficult thing because it means surrendering our will to his will. It's a powerful principle. He can change us. We have to give permission. The interesting thing is, is that when, here's how it works, is that when God comes into your life and he begins to create a new desire for change, it could be to get rid of something bad or to start something good, either way. He starts to create a a desire. You know what happens is that desire comes into conflict with your current desires. And so it's not so easy. In fact, in the book of Galatians, there in your note sheet I printed this, Paul talks about this clash of desires. Verse 5, 17, there on your note sheet. For the, for the sinful nature, it desires what's contrary to the spirit. And the spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. So you've got desires in conflict. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. You can't just always do what you want. And so the moment of surrender comes where you say, okay, I realize, God, you're putting it in my desire uh, you're putting a heart, in, a, 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 a desire is arising in my heart. Let's take a positive example. To be a life group leader. I, I think you're putting that in my heart to lead a life group. To step out, to get off the bench and to start leading. But inside, if you've got another desire, you've got a desire to use your time however you want. You've got a desire to stay home on Wednesday night and watch whatever's on, American Idol or whatever it is, you know. And so you've got these two desires. And now you have to decide which desire wins. Well, here's the point. I want you to catch this. Jesus does not ask you to change your own desires. He asks you to give him permission to change. It's a, big, it's a huge difference. And number two, the second word that helps us describe what does it mean to cooperate is the word action. And it goes like this that we need to take action on what he shows us. There are many times when, when you just say, okay, God, if you don't want me to have that truck, all right. If you want to change my heart, I give you permission to change my heart. And he just changes it. And all of a sudden, a couple months later, you realize you don't want the truck anymore. You don't know how it happened. You just, you're okay now. But there's other times when he asks us to take an action. There's a desire in our life that's a wrong desire. He doesn't ask us to change us, but he asks us, he asks us to take a specific step. With Abraham, he says, leave your, land, leave your home, go to a different land. With Joshua, he says, okay, sure, I could make the walls fall down of Jericho, but I'd like you to march around seven times. Then I'll do it. With the children of Israel, the, the, the priests, he says, I'm going to make the Jordan stop, but you have to take the ark and you have to, as your, as your feet step into the water, the flow will stop. To Naaman the Syrian, Elisha tells him, God wants to heal you of your leprosy, but you have to go into the river and bathe seven times in the, in the muddy Jordan. To Peter, Jesus says, sure, you can walk on the water, but you have to get out of the boat. Take that first step. There's many times in our life where the power of God, the wind is blowing. He says, my wind is blowing, but I need you to do this one step. I need you to set your sails to catch the wind. And for you, here it is. You want me to work in your your life of romance, okay. 
You want me to work in your relationship. You need to move out from living with your girlfriend. This is not right. I can't bless your relationship. I will work in your heart. I will change your relationship. You have to move out. That's the first step. That's what I'm asking of you. And your finances. You're a materialist. You're the first to admit it. You got your, your bumper sticker to prove it. You know, the one who dies with the most toys wins. And you begin to realize, man, my life is all about stuff. It's just about stuff. I don't want my life to be about stuff. I want about something that matters. And God says, okay. But here's what you're going to have to do. Your first step is I'm going to ask you to start giving of your money. And as you step out, it's going to break the back of materialism in your life. But that's a step for you. Some of you, your marriage is in trouble. It's been, marriage, it's been trouble for years. You've been praying for your marriage for years. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's been talking to you for years about getting into seeing a good Christian counselor. You haven't been taking that step. You just keep praying that God will change your marriage. And the Holy Spirit's saying, take this step. Set your sail. Catch my wind. And the moment you do, he's going to be working a new way. You see what I'm saying? That many times there's a, a sense that we have to work out what God is working in. And that's what, what, what he said, Paul says here in Philippians 2.12. They're on your note sheet again. So then, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, look at that word, obeyed, continue to work out your salvation. Work it out. God's working in you new desires. Now you need to work it out. How? By obeying what he's showing you to do. And as we step out, the power is there. Larry Crabb has a great paragraph about this. I put it in your note sheet. In his book, Finding God, where he talks about the two sides, how we can't change ourselves, we can't change our heart. We have to, God has to do that. But we do have to cooperate. He says, we cannot generate true passion for God by an act of the will. No formulas will produce the passion we're after. Seasons of fasting, regular time in the word, disciplined resistance to temptation, generous giving, exuberant worship. These are all good things, but they're not enough to fill us with passion for Christ. They can't change our hearts, in other words. True passion for our Lord is a work of the Holy Spirit. He's the only one who can change our heart. But look, then he goes on to write, but not many of us know the powerful work of God's Spirit because even though God draws us into loving relationship with him, we need to cooperate. See, we have to set the sails to what he's telling us to do. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for two kinds of people in this room. We're all one of two kinds of people. We're either a believer who've committed our life to follow Jesus or we're not a believer yet. And you have to make that decision whether you want to follow Jesus. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for both kinds of people in this room. I would ask you, if for, for believers, most of us are probably followers of Jesus here. Is there any area of your life where the Holy Spirit's been talking to you about? He's been trying to lead you into truth, and yet you've not been giving permission. You've been going and sitting and you know, saying, I don't want to do that. You go sit by the Coke, Coke machine. And you just need to give him permission. Or maybe... You want to change, but he's been asking you to take a difficult first step, and it's scary for you. And so no change has happened in your life, though you keep begging him for change. It's not going to happen until you take that step, that step of obedience. As a church here at Rocky Peak, as we start this journey together, we cannot run with him if we are not being led and empowered by his spirit. You see, that's the mark of the people of God is that we're filled this place with his spirit. That comes as we listen. But for some of you, you've not made the decision yet to follow Jesus. And I've been talking today, you've been saying, I would love to have a relationship with Jesus like that through his Holy Spirit. I would love to have God forgive my sins and give me a new start in life. I would love to have the Holy Spirit come and live in my life so I can experience his presence and him changing me from the inside out. I would love to have that happen. And if that's you, I'm gonna give you a chance as we pray now as well. Let's go to prayer. Father, thank you for this church and thank you for the journey you've called us on. And thank you that we don't have to go alone, that your spirit is there to guide each one of us, both individually and corporately. And so Lord, we pray right now, if there's an area of our life where you've been knocking at the door, wanting to come in, but we've been holding out, 
We understand today our role is to give you permission and then to act on whatever you show us. And so today we just want to to give you permission to talk to us and to to lead us and to be our guide, to be our mentor. We want to stop resisting your training in our life. We want to call you back from the Coke machine and ask you to lead on. And so we give you those things right now. And then for others of us here, Lord, we've not yet made that decision to follow you. We don't have the spirit in our life. We want to receive you today. And so Jesus, we ask you right now, and if you've not made this decision yet to follow Jesus, just pray this prayer in your heart after me. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to give you my life. I want to give you the steering wheel of my life to take over this life of mine. I ask you to come in and forgive me of my past, my rebellion, my sin, my failures. I ask you to come and live inside of me and give me new life and change me from the inside out so I can be like you. While our heads are still bowed, if you just made that prayer of commitment today to the first time to ask Jesus into your life, in just a moment, we'll be taking the offering, and in the offering, we'll be putting these cards called Keep in Touch cards. There's a space back on the back to check that you've accepted Jesus today, a, a place for you to write me a note. And I'd ask if you'd just write me a note. Just say, Mike, I stepped over the line to follow Jesus today, or I asked Jesus into my life, or just something like that that would let me know. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send you a letter this week with some next steps for you, some suggestions on how to walk with Jesus we'll get you a Bible and we'll help you on your path. Lord, thank you for this day, day to be in your presence. Thank you for Rocky Peak, for this incredible place. Lord, just for this place to walk on campus, be together as your people. God, we're just so grateful. God, would you help yourself to our lives? We want to experience your spirit as our mentor and as our teacher and our guide. Today we recommit to submit to his leadership so he can transform us. We give you permission to mess with us. In your name, amen.